Section 3 of Culinary Herbs, Their Cultivation, Harvesting, Curing, and Uses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Fournier, Marshall, Virginia. Culinary Herbs, Their Cultivation, Harvesting, Curing, and Uses by Maurice Grenville Keynes. Culinary Herbs Defined Beginning through production of new varieties. It may be said that sweet or culinary herbs are those annual, biennial, or perennial plants whose green parts, tender roots, or ripe seeds have an aromatic flavor and fragrance due either to a volatile oil or to other chemically named substances peculiar to the individual species. Since many of them have pleasing odors, they have been called sweet and since they have long been used in cookery to add their characteristic flavors to soups, stews, dressings, sauces, and salads, they are popularly called culinary. This last designation is less happy than the former, since many other herbs, such as cabbage, spinach, kale, dandelion, and collards, are also culinary herbs. These vegetables are, however, probably more widely known as pot herbs or greens. History. It seems probable that many of the flowering herbs now in use were similarly employed before the erection of the pyramids, and also that many then popular no longer appear in modern lists of esculents. Of course, this statement is based largely upon imperfect records, perhaps, in many cases, only hints more or less doubtful as to the various species. But it seems safe to conclude that a goodly number of the herbs discussed in this volume, especially those said to be natives of the Mediterranean region, overhung and perfumed the cradle of the human race in the Orient and marked the footsteps of our rude progenitors as they strode more and more sturdily toward the horizon of promise. This idea seems to gain support also from the fact that certain Eastern peoples, whom modern civilization declares to have uneducated tastes, still employ many herbs which have dropped by the wayside of progress, or, like the caraway and the redoubtable pusli, an anciently popular pot-herb, are but known in western lands as troublesome weeds. Relying upon biblical records alone, several herbs were highly esteemed prior to our era. In the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, reference is made to tithes of mint, anise, rue, cumin, and other herbs, and, more than seven hundred years previously, Isaiah speaks of the sowing and threshing of cumin, which, since the same passage, Isaiah 28-25, also speaks of fitches, vetches, wheat, barley, and rye, seems then to have been a valued crop. The development of the herb crops contrasts strongly with that of the other crops to which reference has just been made. Whereas these latter have continued to be staples, and to judge by their behavior during the last century, may be considered to have improved in quality and yield since that ancient time, the former have dropped to the most subordinate position of all food plants. They have lost in number of species, and have shown less improvement than perhaps any other groups of plants cultivated for economic purposes. During the century just closed, only one species, parsley, 
may be said to have developed more than an occasional improved variety. And even during this period, the list of species seems to have been somewhat curtailed. Tansy, hyssop, whorehound, rue, and several others being considered of too pronounced and even unpleasant flavor to suit cultivated palates. With the exception of these few species, the loss of which seems not to be serious, this absence of improvement is to be regretted, because with improved quality would come increased consumption, and consequent beneficial results in the appetizing flavor of the foods to which herbs are added. But greatly improved varieties of most species can hardly be expected until a just appreciation has been awakened in individual cultivators, who, probably in a majority of cases, will be lovers of plants rather than men who earn their living by market gardening. Until the public better appreciates the culinary herbs, there will be a comparatively small commercial demand. Until the demand is sufficient to make growing herbs profitable upon an extensive scale, market gardeners will devote their land to crops which are sure to pay well. Hence, the opportunity to grow herbs as an adjunct to gardening is the most likely way that they can be made profitable. And yet there is still another, namely, growing them for sale in the various prepared forms and selling them in glass or tin receptacles in the neighborhood or by advertising in the household magazines. There surely is a market, and a profitable one if rightly managed. And with right management and profit is to come desire to have improved varieties. Such varieties can be developed at least as readily as the wonderful modern chrysanthemum has been developed from an insignificant little wildflower, not half as interesting or promising originally as our common ox-eye daisy, a well-known field weed. Not the least object of this volume is, therefore, to arouse just appreciation of the opportunities awaiting the herb grower. Besides the very large and increasing number of people who take pleasure in the growing of attractive flowering and foliage plants, fine vegetables and choice fruits, there are many who would find positive delight in the breeding of plants for improvement, the origination of new varieties, and who would devote much of their leisure time to this work, make it a hobby, did they know the simple underlying principles. For their benefit, therefore, the following paragraphs are given. Production of New Varieties Besides the gratification that always accompanies the growing of plants, there is in plant breeding the promise that the progeny will in some way be better than the parent, and there is the certainty that when a stable variety of undoubted merit has been produced, it can be sold to an enterprising seedsman for general distribution. In this way, the amateur may become a public benefactor, reap the just reward of his labors, and keep his memory green. The production of new varieties of plants is a much simpler process than is commonly supposed. It consists far more in selecting and propagating the best specimens than in any so-called breeding. With the majority of the herbs, this is the most likely direction in which to seek success. Suppose we have sown a packet of parsley seed, and we have 5,000 seedlings. Among these, a lot will be so weak that we will naturally pass them by when we are choosing plantlets to put in our garden beds. 
Here is the first and simplest kind of selection. By this means, and by not having space for a great number of plants in the garden, we probably get rid of 80% of the seedlings, almost surely the least desirable ones. Suppose we have transplanted 1,000 seedlings, where they are to grow and produce leaves for sale or home use. Among these, provided the seed has been good and true, at least 90% will be about alike in appearance, productivity, and otherwise. The remaining plants may show variations so striking as to attract attention. Some may be tall and scraggly. Some may be small and puny. Others may be light green, still others dark green, and so on. But there may be one or two plants that stand out conspicuously as the best of the whole lot. These are the ones to mark with a stake, so they will not be molested when the crop is being gathered, and so they will attain their fullest development. These best plants, and only these, should then be chosen as the seed-bearers, no others should be allowed even to produce flowers. When the seed has ripened, that from each plant should be kept separate during the curing process described elsewhere. And when spring comes again, each lot of seed should be sown by itself. When the seedlings are transplanted, they should be kept apart and labeled number one, number two, number three, etc. So the progeny of each parent plant can be known and its history kept. The process of selecting the seedlings the second year is the same as in the first. The best are given preference when being transplanted. In the beds, all sorts of variations, even more pronounced than the first year, may be expected. The effort with the seedlings derived from each parent plant should be to find the plants that most closely resemble their own parents and to manage these just as the parents were managed. No other should be allowed to flower. This process is to be continued from year to year. If the selection is carefully made, the grower will soon rejoice, because he will observe a larger and a larger number of plants approaching the type of plant he has been selecting for. In time, practically the whole plantation will be coming true to type, and he will have developed a new variety. If his ideal is such as to appeal to the practical man, the man who grows parsley for money, and if the variety is superior to varieties already grown, the originator will have no difficulty in disposing of his stock of seed and plants, if he so desires, to a seedsman, who will gladly pay a round price in order to have exclusive control of the new creation. Or he may contract with a seedsman to grow seed of the new variety for sale to the trade. It may be said, further, that new varieties may be produced by placing the pollen from the flowers of one plant upon the pistils in the flowers of another, and then covering the plant with fine gauze to keep insects out. With the herbs, however, this method seems hardly worthwhile, because the flowers are, as a rule, very small, and the work necessarily finicky, and because there are already so few varieties of most species that the operation may be left to the activities of insects. It is for this reason, however, that none but the choicest plants should be allowed to bloom, so none but desirable pollen may reach and fertilize the flowers of the plants to be used as seed producers.
End of section three.